Lord, you are indeed a good, good Father. We love you, Lord. We, we honor you. We, we thank you so much for all you are in our lives, for all you've done for us, and for all the promises you've made us, promises that you've never not kept. Thank you. Now, Father, our prayer is that it would be all of you and none of me, that you would increase as I decrease. Pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. God bless you. What an awesome, awesome time of worship and praise this morning. You know, I need to say this. Uh, I need, I want all of you, whether online or in person, to feel comfortable enough to express your worship and praise to the Lord in whatever way you desire to do that. Amen. If that means you want to stand up and wave your hands and stomp your feet and even, now, I have to be careful when I say this because some of you might, this might concern you. If you want to run through the sanctuary, now, I, I, you know, I, I used to do that a whole lot. I mean, I don't, sometimes I still might do it, Brother Daniel, but I don't want people to get too alarmed. <laughs> so I have to try to control myself. But I tell you, if you want to do that, you'll be all right. You'll be all right, but we just wanna we just wanna have a good time. Now, on the other side of that, if your worship and praise is expressed in you just sitting and just relaxing and enjoying the presence of God, and in your mind, you're thinking about how good He is and how good He's been, and you just put a smile on your face. That's good, also. <laughs> Amen. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of worship. We want to have here at Bethel Hope. We want to have variety of that. And so I, want, I wanted to say that so that you know that all, anything you desire to do outside of running up and grabbing me and tackling me, anything else is okay. <laughs> Amen. God bless you all. We're so glad you're here with us today uh, for this great, wonderful, marvelous day that we celebrate called Father's Day. I know it's not as exciting as the one we celebrated last month. I know, I know, I know. We, but John, we kind of take a back seat, but it's all right. Today is our day. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. <laughs> so God bless you to all the fathers. Happy Father's Day. We're glad uh, that you're here with us, whether in person or online. I uh, want to share with you that uh, Father's Day is primarily about three things. It's about a lot of things, but primarily it's about three things, right? It's about uh, appreciation, it's about commemoration, and it's about legacy. That's what Father's Day is all about. It's about appreciating the fathers. It's about commemorating who they've been and what they've done in our lives. And then it's about the legacy that hopefully the fathers will leave behind for the children that they have brought into the world, right? Is that, is that correct? Am I good there? Y'all believe that's the case? Uh, well, then, 
you'll find out uh, in just a moment uh, that those things that I just mentioned that are uh, primarily what Father's Day is about are actually also present in the conclusion to the story of Esther that we've been in since Mother's Day. Before we get there, though, I'd like to uh, read the following passage that's not from the book of Esther. It is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. I want to read that passage. It says this, But we have, and this is from the ESV version, But we have this treasure in jars of, jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believe and I so spoke. We also believe and We also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you in his presence. But it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth in the New Testament. And I chose to read it because it also is an accurate description of the goings-on in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. As most of you know, as I said earlier, earlier, we have been in a series in Esther entitled God's Providence since Mother's Day. And today we'll take our final look at this story with what is part seven of the series, which will include chapter nine, beginning at verse 20, and will take us all the way through the end of the chapter in chapter 10, verse 3. Chapter 10 has only three verses, and we'll finish today with the conclusion of this story. You'll recall that the definition of God's providence that I shared with you early on in our time together uh, in Esther is this. I said that it is the work of God whereby he integrates 
and blends events in the universe in order to fulfill his original design for which it was created. That is a portion of the definition for God's providence that I shared with you. I shared with you also that providence also means activity arising from foresight. It describes God's unseen yet very real care for his own, you and I. Often we can't see it, but we know it's present. It describes that. God's providence is all as it is depicted in Esther as well as in our lives is expressed eloquently in the poem entitled The Weaver. It was written by Grant Colfax Tuller, and it, and it goes like this. It says this, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I'm foolish, and, and, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. That is a very accurate description of God's providence. And as the poem implies, our God is indeed a weaver. And throughout the story of Esther, he has been working his plan. You'll recall, if you remember the story, he has been working his plan through his people while being hid quietly behind the scenes. His name is not mentioned. There's, there's no mention of God, no mention of prayer, no mention of any of these things. He's working hidden behind the scenes to preserve his people and save them so that his promise to bring the Messiah, the Savior of all the people of the world, could be fulfilled. It is the promise that he has made. And had Haman's plan to annihilate the Jews succeeded, then God's plan would have ended. This, the story of Esther, is a story of salvation. Really, if we're honest about it, there is no if if God's plan would have failed, because God's plan never fails. But if, if we could allow our minds to think, to, to, to wonder on, and, and to just think about if Haman's plot had succeeded. We know God is all sovereign and all powerful, and we know that he would have found a way somehow not to allow it to. But if it had, then God's plan would have failed. And so when we left off last week in chapters 8 and the first part of chapter 9, we were reminded that God always, somebody help me, finishes what he starts. We were reminded of that last week as we looked at chapters 8 and the first part of chapter 9. God always finishes what he starts. There was vindication in chapter 8 as wealth 
we saw was transferred. A counter decree was enacted and a reversal took place as the sadness, sackcloth and ashes of chapter four gave way to gladness, joy and honor in chapter eight. There was this great reversal of fortunes that we saw vindication happened in chapter 8. How many of you know that God is a God who vindicates his people? And we see it evident in chapter 8. Uh, vindication, uh, then the vindication of chapter 8 was then followed by vengeance in the first part of chapter 9. As God avenged his people by continuing this great reversal. And instead of the Jews being destroyed, uh, he allows his people uh, then to kill 500 plus the 10 sons of Haman on one day. And then 300 men on the second day, as, as well as 75,000 other men in the other provinces for a grand total of 75,810 men in two days. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's, it's not for us to do that. God will make sure that it happens. Which brings us then to our passage for today at the end of this great story. As I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about at least two things I see in these final verses of Esther. As we celebrate Father's Day, and we talk about things that Father's Day is all about, right? And so I want to pull out two, at least two things from these last two chapters, commemoration and legacy. I see it. I see appreciation also. I want to specifically talk about commemoration and legacy. First, I see commemoration in the remainder of chapter 9. In verses 20 through 32, I see commemoration all over this passage. Commemorate. Let's read it. Let's read it. Nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 20 through 32. Here's what it says. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year, the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. You ought to shout right there. That they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted that they had started uh, what they had started to do. And what Mordecai had written to them, for Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pure, that is, cast lots to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, the, the, he gave orders in writing that this, his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they call these days Purim, after the term pure. Therefore, because of all that was written in this, in this letter and of what they had faced in, in this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews firmly, uh, uh, firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to that 
was according to what was written and to that time appointed every year. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city. And that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring, with regard to their fast and their lamenting. The, content, the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. Commemoration, we see at the end of chapter 9, is there. Commemoration, by the way, is very important in the mind of God, as is evidenced in Scripture. All throughout the Bible, we see instances of memorial, whether it is mandated or it is voluntary. We see it all throughout Scripture. For instance, the Pentateuch records seven sacred feasts known as Feasts of Remembrance. These seven sacred feasts were mandated by God so that the people would remember him and what he had done. We, we, we know that first we see the Feast of Passover. It's, it's, it's laid out, all of these are laid out, and, and the mandate is given in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23. And so in Leviticus 23, 5, we see the Feast of Passover. This feast, the Feast of Passover, uh, is the feast commemorating the night the Spirit of the Lord passed over the Israelites' houses that were covered with blood of the sacrificed lambs during the plague that killed all the firstborn in Egypt. We move on from there, and we see not only that commemoration, but also then next, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's in Leviticus 23, 6. It's con considered to be a part of the Passover as it's celebrated for seven days, beginning the day after Passover. Israelites were commanded to not any eat anything that contains yeast during this festival in remembrance, remembrance of having fled Egypt in haste before the bread could rise. And we know that now leaven or yeast is equated with sin, and we are told not to, not to let the leaven overtake us, right? We, so we're told that this unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread, and then we move on from there to the feast of first fruits. It's in Leviticus 23, verses 10 and 11. It's held on the second day of the Feast of, the, of Unleavened Bread. The Israelites were to express their dependence on God and gratitude, there's that appreciation, gratitude to him for the promised land by bringing their first, very first harvest of barley and other sacrifices to the temple. Then from there we move on to the next feast of commemoration. It is the Feast of Pentecost. It's in uh, Leviticus 23, 17. It occurs 50 days after Passover and is meant to be a celebration of gratitude, appreciation to God for the wheat harvest, similar to the festival of first fruits for the barley harvest. It is an opportunity to commemorate and appreciate God. Then from there we move on to the Feast of Trumpets. It's in Leviticus 23, 24. It's also known as Rosh Hashanah. This feast marks 
uh, the time that the agriculture year has come to an end and a new one is beginning. The Israelites now enter into a sacred season, presenting themselves before God, seeking his favor. This festival is commemorated with trumpets blasting. Then the Feast of Atonement is next. It is found in Leviticus 23, 27. Ten days after Rosh Hashanah uh, is Yom Kippur, or the Feast of Atonement, uh, or the Day of Atonement, it was the day uh, per year, the high, one day per year where the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies to present sacrifice on behalf of the people to wipe away all the sins of the previous year. It was a time of commemoration, appreciation, and atonement uh, that the Lord mandated that the people observe. And then lastly, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It's in Leviticus 23, 34, five days it happens after Yom Kippur is the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. This festival celebrates the, full, the fall harvest and commemorates the Israelites' sojourn in the desert when they lived in tents or tabernacles. It was a time, and it is a time, for them to commemorate what God did for them on their long journey through the wilderness. It's a time to commemorate and remember God for his goodness. Commemoration or remembering is indeed important to God. There is no doubt about that. God wants us to remember him. You recall? The 12 stones of remembrance from Joshua chapter 4, taken from the Jordan when God parted the waters of the Jordan so that they could walk through on dry land just like he did uh, not long before that at the Red Sea. God instructs them to take 12, instructs Joshua to have them take 12 stones. This is what Joshua said, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you then? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. I, I, I hope you see where I'm going with this. God is, is serious about us commemorating what he has done and how good he has been in us remembering him in all things. Never forget God and what he has done. Then you'll be familiar with this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Paul recounts the mandated commemoration of the Lord's Supper, which is now one of two ordinances for the New Testament church. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think about what I did. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Commemoration, my brothers and sisters, is important because God wants us to never forget his goodness. Which is why here at the end of Esther, we find the Feast of Purim which commemorates God using Esther and Mordecai to save the Jews from the evil plans of Haman. It's, it, it, God says, remember, 
what I did. Remember it, uh, the Feast of Purim was the one and only holiday established in the Old Testament not connected with the Mosaic law. It was not mandated, it was voluntary. They just recognized that they needed to establish a holiday to commemorate even though God's name's not mentioned. They recognized who was responsible. And so they create this holiday to remember and to commemorate how God had delivered them. Jews call the holiday Purim, based on the word pure. The term pure refers to the lot that Haman had cast back in chapter 3, verse 7, to determine when he would destroy the Jews. Haman had looked to chance to fulfill his wicked desires, but the people of God knew that their deliverance had not come by chance, but by the providential hand of God. Thus, they co-opted the term and used it to magnify their God. We're going to recognize this day as a day of commemoration of what God did for us. We're going to steal the name and use it to glorify our God. Verses 22 and 28 of chapter 9 are key. I'm going to read them to you again. I read them already, but I want, to, I want you to see what they say. 22 says this. As the day on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. They wanted to remember. Do you remember the time? I know that's a Michael Jackson song. Right? Yeah, some of y'all like, yeah, some of y'all like, I ain't never heard that one. Do you remember the time when God delivered you? Have you ever allowed yourself to forget what God brought you through, delivered you from, raised you up out of? Do you remember? Is it a, is it a memorial in your life? Do, listen, if you have any trouble doing that, let me help you out. Just think back to this morning. <laughs> If you think, I can't think of it, I didn't have any experience like they had. Well, let me help you out. He woke you up this morning. He gave you air to breathe, and he gave you the activity of your, he, all of that. He did. If you can't think of anything else, just think back to five minutes ago when he allowed you to still suck in his air and still be here living in amongst the land of, of the living. Know that we should never forget how good God has been. Then verse 28, I love what it says here. 28 says this, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout. Watch this. Every generation, every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Fathers, it's Father's Day. Never let the legacy uh, uh, that God has given you in him ever be forgotten amongst those that you leave behind. Always remind them that you're leaving behind that I am where I am because of God. It was God that brought me. It was God that taught me. It was God that gave me. It was God that made me. And I owe him everything. Amen. And what I need you to do is pass it on to the next generation. 
Make it a time of commemoration and a memorial in your life so that you never forget how good God has been. Purim is celebrated still today among Jews by exchanging gifts. I shared this with you before, exchanging gifts of food and drink, donating charity to the poor, eating a celebratory meal, public reading aloud of the scroll of Esther, usually in the synagogue. And here it is when they do this, when Haman's name is read out loud during the public chanting of the scroll of Esther in the synagogue, it occurs 54 times. And when it happens, the congregation engages in noise making to blot out Haman's name. They make noise because Haman was evil. They don't even want to hear his name. Here it is. Let me close this point with this. Having reminders can help us to remember the lesson. God has taught us and it should give us confidence so it helps us to remember the lessons we learned from the past right somebody say amen, amen. y'all don't be so quiet with me today I need you to help me out don't leave me up here by myself it helps us to remember the lessons that we learned in the past but watch this it not only does that Brittany here's, here's the next thing it does it helps us to have confidence for the future that's what commemoration does in our lives. It causes us to think back on when God did what he did and the lessons that, he, that we learned from when he did what he did. But it also, it should encourage us and give us confidence for the days that lie ahead, for the challenges that we have yet faced, for what we are going to encounter tomorrow. That's what commemoration does. It reminds us that God has never left us nor forsaken us. It reminds us that he walks with me. He talks with me. With me. He, remind, he, he tells me that I'm his own. And it reminds me of the joy that we share while we linger there. No one else has ever known. That's what commemoration does for me. And I see you looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. But really, if you think about it, you ought to have the same thing in your mind. That he walks with you. And you may not express it like this crazy dude does. But it ought to be on your mind. So I see, I see commemoration. And then lastly in chapter 10, I see something else that, that is related to Father's Day. I see legacy. In chapter 10, let's read chapter 10. There's only three verses. Chapter 10 says this. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might in the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Listen, that's legacy. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to unpack, unpack it here in just a minute, but that's legacy. Uh, here's what legacy is. Legacy means this. Uh, it is the impact of one person on the world. It's the impact. Do you know this? One person, you, me, one person can make a difference. Did you know that? One person, brother John, can make a difference in this world. One person 
That's what legacy is. It's one person making a difference. Here we find out about the greatness of Mordecai in chapter 10, the greatness of Mordecai and how God had taken his life from obscurity to prominence. Obscurity to prominence. He was now second in rank only to King Xerxes. He was famous, it says, and well-known among the Jews. The end of chapter 10 could really serve as Mordecai's epitaph. You know what an epitaph is? It's what goes on your tombstone. It's how people remember you. And there's a statement at the end of chapter 10, verse 3, that could really go on Mordecai's tombstone. Here's what it says. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. He was a man who was concerned about others, according to this sentence, this last sentence. It's the last we hear of Mordecai, and it could serve as his epitaph. He and Esther both have left a lasting legacy on the world. They didn't miss their moment. They didn't miss their moment. They seized the opportunity. They seized the day. They, 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 they understood carpe diem. They seized the moment. They seized the day. And they left a lasting impact on the world that they left behind. Here's the question. How will your epitaph read? How will yours, what, what, what will be the lasting memory, the lasting legacy that you leave behind? Because remember, I told you that one person can make a difference in this world. What will be your epitaph? The only way to ensure an impactful legacy and a meaningful epitaph is to place complete confidence in God, in the God of infallible providence. It's the only way. It's the only way to do it, is you have to place complete confidence in him. Here's what D.L. Moody says about that. D.L. Moody has an interesting quote. It says this, trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappoint. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. <laughs> trust in money and you may have it taken from you. Trust in your reputation and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God. And you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. Trust in God. I'm going to leave you with this. There's a story told about uh, Reggie Jackson and his then manager, Earl Weaver. Weaver had a rule that no one, you know, Reggie Jackson was a famous, well-known baseball. I think I better say that. Some of y'all may not know Reggie Jackson. There's some young folks in here like, who is Reggie Jackson? Reggie Jackson was, is a Hall of Fame, a, a Hall of Fame uh, baseball player, right? Well-known, Hall of Famer, world-famous. Uh, Weaver, his then-manager, had a rule that no one could steal a base unless he gave the steal sign from the dugout. This ruling, though, upset Reggie Jackson, who felt he knew the pictures and catchers well enough to judge when he could steal a base. And so one day he decided to steal without getting a sign from Weaver. He got up, he got a jump, a good jump uh, off the pitcher and, 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 and the catcher, and he easily beat the throw from the catcher to second base. And as he shook the dirt off his uniform, he smiled with delight, feeling he had vindicated his judgment. 
He felt like he had done the right thing. I made it easily. I don't need no sign. Still, I know what I'm doing. Weaver later, though, took just, uh, 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 Reggie Jackson aside and explained why he hadn't given him the steel sign. This is the reason why he shares with Jackson the next batter was a man named Lee May. He was a major power hitter. And because first base then was open, the opposing team intentionally walked May. The batter after May hadn't been strong against this pitcher, so Weaver had to send in a designated hitter. That left their team without the bench strength they might have needed later in the game. Jackson had seen a stolen base as involving only the relationship between pitcher and catcher. Weaver was calling signals with the entire game in mind. It was different perspective. Last thing I'm going to say to you, and I'm going to pray and sit down. Don't put your trust in what you see around you. Trust the one who sees the big picture that spans all of time and eternity. His name is Jesus. Trust in him with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll make your pathway straight. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. I said that was the last thing, but I can't help myself. He'll order your steps. He'll, he'll lead you out of darkness into the marvelous light. He'll pick you up. He'll turn you around. He'll place your feet on solid ground. He will give you direction in life. His name is Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. That is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. Thank you, Lord God for being so providential. Thank you for being all-knowing. Thank you, Lord, for, for seeing the whole game while we're just looking at one inning. Thank you, Lord, for orchestrating, for synchronizing, for synthesizing behind the scenes. Thank you. We give you the praise. We pray for all fathers today, for legacy, for commemoration, and for appreciation. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're here with us, or if you're joining us online, we want to extend an invitation to you to Christian discipleship if you don't know him. Because we're not just talking about some imaginary figure. We're talking about somebody who's real. Anybody know he's real? I told you you could talk to me. He's real. So if you don't know him, we invite you to get to know him today. We wanna, we'd love to pray with you and help you to do that. Uh, or if you're online, you can certainly do it there. And we want to know about it. Let us know. If you're here today, you want to accept the Lord Jesus as Savior, would you, would you let us know? Raise your hand. Come forward. Amen. If you're here, because you do know, so, so listen, I'm going to pray and sit down, y'all, trust me. But you do know that 
Often when we go to church, we believe everybody in the church is already saved, right? You do know that everybody in the church is not saved. I mean, everybody in this room today may be, but everybody that goes to church has not necessarily made that life-changing decision yet. So we, we never want to leave this place without extending that opportunity and that invitation. So listen, if you, ha- if you didn't take advantage of that and you are one of those people, you still have an opportunity when you leave to do it on your own. Just pray and sincerely ask him to come into your heart. He will. He will. If there's nothing else, I want to again say happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Enjoy your day. Hopefully you'll get a big old juicy steak and baked potato and shrimp and lobster tails. And Jeff, you smiling. I think that's what you have on. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, like, that sounds good to me. <laughs> Steph, you hear that? <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Uh, what is it? Uh, what's the steak place? Texas, yeah, Texas Roadhouse, guys. I'm not messing with it. We're going to go so anyway. <laughs> God bless you. Enjoy the day. Let's celebrate Father's Day. Celebrate fathers today, whether they're still living among with you or they've gone on to glory, uh, whether there are bad experiences in the past, good experiences in the past. Put all that aside and honor the fathers today. Amen. Amen. There's nothing else. I want to welcome and say God bless you to all of our visitors today, our guests that are with us. As I look around, I notice we have several that are visiting with us. If you're visiting with us for the first time, would you stand? Just want to recognize you. Amen. Remain standing and real quickly, just share with us your name. And if you came with someone or someone invited you, let us know that. If not, that's okay.